Today we continue our Circles of Influence series, and if you're not familiar with it, each summer we invite people to come in and to speak to us who have impacted and shaped and influenced the ministry that we do here at Parkview. And today we get to hear from the founder of Breakthrough Urban Ministries, Arloa Sutter. Breakthrough Urban Ministries is absolutely an amazing ministry, and here at Parkview, when we think about the work that we do with MANA, when we think about the work that we do along North Avenue, when we think about the work that we're doing to impact the lives of children in schools along North Avenue, we absolutely are influenced, shaped, and guided by the wisdom and the experience of Breakthrough Urban Ministries. To share with you a little bit of information about Breakthrough. Since 1992, Breakthrough has provided shelter for more than 12,000 homeless Chicagoans. It has served more than 1.8 million meals to homeless adults. It has supported 890 youth through the achievement-based programs and a network for caring adults. In addition to this, there was a University of Chicago study done that showed that when Breakthrough Urban Ministries is providing their basketball programs that they provide in the community during the summer to give kids something to do, something positive to do and keep them off the streets, that within a four block radius over a four year period, violent crime was reduced by 52%. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, you can clap for that, absolutely. As we hear weekly on the news about violence in the city of Chicago, we must acknowledge that that 52% are lives that are saved. So it is my privilege and my honor to invite Arloa Sutter to the stage. Thank you, Arloa. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. It's great to be with you. You know, uh, we have a few uh, churches, maybe 30 or 40, that support us in various ways, but you're in the top five. You are, <laughs> you are some, you're, you're a major partner with us. I hope you know that. So it's great to actually be able to see you face-to-face -face and get the sense for what the Spirit is doing here. You're beautiful, beautiful. I, um, as I was praying this morning and, and looking out over all y'all, I felt God um, wanted me to say to you that you, you're so loved. And I, th th this was the message, you're trying so hard. You're doing so great. You're really, you're really putting out your best effort. But I have a lot of hard things to say today. And so the message to me was, don't make them guilty. Don't make them feel like you're manipulating. <laughs> it's not behavioral modification. But I have a message that God gave me to bring to you that is kind of troubling in a lot of ways. In fact, it has a very negative title, Doomed to Misfortune. If anybody wants to walk out, now's the time. <laughs> but God loves you, and God wants to call you to a deeper place, to a place where you feel his passion. And so that's the message. So Breakthrough 
Uh, I started Breakthrough out of a church in Edgewater on the north side of Chicago, and basically people were coming uh, to, to the church wanting help, and so I got to know them, and uh, sat, I put on a pot of coffee, and eventually uh, we would ask, I would ask people to go clean up Clark Street so I could give them a paycheck instead of a handout and then if they needed money, and then so that started a little work program, and the word got out, and the storefront filled up, and then pretty soon we opened up a shelter on the church gymnasium floor, and then we outgrew that space, and we came over to the west side of Chicago where we found a building, and over the years now, in the last uh, 15 years, we have developed a, a community-based, real geographically-based ministry in East Garfield Park, which if you're familiar with uh, Chicago, it's about halfway between downtown and Oak Park, straight out Lake Street, Lake and Kedzie. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a community that has a, a lot of desperation and a lot of poverty. For me, the past 23 years has been kind of a journey of what we call going up the river. So starting to work with homeless adults and, and seeing um, the, these people who, who have, are so troubled and their lives are so convoluted, and, and, you, and it's like standing by the side of a river and seeing someone floundering in the water and drowning. And so you do the compassionate thing, which is you reach out and you bring them in, and, you know, and then you see another and another, and through the years we've gotten really good at providing services to homeless adults. I, I used to say we're the, the Cadillac of homeless services, and I think it's Tesla now. Is that the one? Or Lamborghini? We're the best, and people know that if they come to Breakthrough, they can get their life together. They can get real solid help, and we have a lot of wraparound services. But what continued to break my heart over and over was the stories that I would hear from these adults of the neglect and abuse that they had experienced in very early childhood. So standing downstream, eventually, someone says, maybe we should go upstream and finding out, find out how these babies are getting tossed in the river. So going upstream for me meant really looking at causes and effects and, and why situations are the way they are. And we began to work with preschoolers. These are uh, the, the 18 kids that are in our preschool now. In a, a few months, well, actually in January, we opened up a new building. And uh, we, we got our, our city license. We're still waiting on the paperwork from the state. And we're going to open up four preschool rooms, which are off to the right off this picture. You're looking at the medical center run by Lawndale Christian Health Centers. There's a, I'm sorry, I'm going to take these off. There's a double court gymnasium over there on the right and, and classrooms and a cafe and a fitness center, a real hub of, of hope in East Garfield Park. So today, some of the babies who were enrolled in our preschool in 2000 when we started working with preschoolers are in high school and doing well. Others who've come into our after-school program as grade school students are now in adults and enrolling their own children in breakthroughs uh, programs, paying it forward for generations. This is Otis and Christine, who met in our after-school program when they were 12 and have now enrolled their daughter, Honesty, in the Breakthrough Beginners Program. And Otis works for Breakthrough as head of security. Then there's Cortez, who is now 27, who's grown into a hardworking husband and father of three. He and his wife, Tamika, are sacrificing for the dreams of their three small children. 
Cortez's brother, Martel, now 28, grew into an adult who loves to study and teach the Bible. He lives and works in Memphis, Tennessee, where he teaches Bible studies and is investing in the lives of children and families. London Johnson came to Breakthrough in 2001 when she was 12, being raised by a blind grandmother in desperate poverty. Today, she's a band instructor in a Chicago public high school. This is London last summer visiting the Great Wall of China. JJ, now 24, graduated from Grace College in Indiana. Now he works as a youth counselor with victims of sexual abuse and is aggressively pursuing his master's degree in counseling. James has a passion for faith and for serving others. I'm showing you these because I want you to get hope. These are adults who are living for Christ, building strong families, valuing education, and the faith development of their children. To see our work affecting generations is, is gratifying. We thank God. But I want to talk to you this morning about vulnerable children and what the Lord has to say about their value and their treatment. There's a passage of scripture in Isaiah 65, and it talks about the new heaven and the new earth, what God really, the ideal world, the world that God is creating, the world that he will one day uh, bring into existence. In verse 23, there's a phrase. I'm going to start in 22. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. Wow. What a description of what's happening to so many children throughout our world. Children doomed to misfortune. They're the ones trapped in the sex trade, the, the ones forced to become child soldiers, the millions who don't have access to food or clean water. Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times has recently been reporting on the work of Dr. Tom Cantina in the Nuba, Nuba Mountains of South Sudan, where the government is bombing, and he is the only doctor for 500 people, uh, 500,000 um, people, with no electricity and no running water, and he's caring for the victims of these bombings, maimed and burned, mostly young children, 50 in his, uh, in his clinic at one time. Look it up, it's heartbreaking. These children are living in terror and fear, and when they hear the sound of airplanes, they have to run into caves and foxholes for protection. This is, this is in Sudan, but in our own backyard, children are doomed to misfortune, living in grinding poverty and daily danger. I think of seven-year-old Amari Brown that you probably saw on TV who's death in, was killed in our, in our neighborhood just recently. His father, Antonio, was the tar intended target, had 45 arrests and 12 convictions on drug charges. You all hear this in the news. This is our neighborhood. I, I wake up every morning and check every block to see how close the shootings were and praise God when, when they're not on my block. I had a bullet go through my window, but I'm not going to go into that. America is the only industrialized country on the planet where children are the largest group of people trapped in poverty. One out of five in the richest country in the world. There are too many children doomed, born doomed to misfortune. Too many violent, drug-saturated neighbor, neighborhoods where not enough is being done. Too many failing schools that don't expect or help children to learn or to build their self-esteem. Lack of health and mental health facilities and services available to children. 
a broken system of incarceration that unjustly preys on children of color, leading to what Marion Wright Edelman calls the cradle-to-prison-to-death pipeline. 2.7 million children in America under the age of 18 have a parent who's incarcerated. And get this, one out of nine black children in America have a parent in prison. Gang members are seven times more likely to die on the streets than they are if, if they would have been deployed in Iraq in the heat of the battle. What do we do? Stephen Levitt, the author of Freakonomics, has become a friend of ours over the years. He's done some research with his PhD students at Breakthrough. And when Darian Albert was beaten to death, to death outside of Fenger High School a number of years ago, he came to me and he said he was being asked by Arnie Duncan and Ron Huberman, who was then the head of schools, to, uh, to give him some research about how to end the violence. And so he asked me, what do you think? I said, well, let's talk to the guys who are out there in the gangs. So we gathered a group of 10 gang members in our conference room and had a conversation. Of course, um, Stephen Levitt being an, uh, uh, an economist, he wanted to know, if I give you $5,000, will you go to school every day for a semester for, for the year? And one of the kids said, sure, I could turn that into 15000 on the weekend. <laughs> one of them says, guys get bored. There's nothing to do. We need jobs, like learning how to fix cars and build houses. And then he turned to the boy next to him and he said, if I knew how to build a house, I would build you one right now implying the boy's homelessness. One of them says, there are people out there who ain't got no one. Sometimes the streets show you more love. If you come home and your dad's not there and your mom's on crack, you can't really blame the kids. Wow, heartbreaking. This past fall, a family came to us for help. It was a mother with three teenage daughters, one of whom was 15, pushing a stroller with a 10-month-old baby and pregnant again. Now, at Breakthrough, as you're going to hear later, because of this situation and many others, we are going to open a family shelter, but right now we have only homeless adults. We don't take children at Breakthrough. So we, we were trying to place this family, and we were told by the city, after uh, multiple phone calls, that they had to go back to the Department of Family Support Services at 10 South Kedzie and get in the queue, and that there were a hundred in front of them. Sharon and I were stunned, and we went over to see it. Oh, my goodness. A hundred, mostly very young mothers with young babies and infant children, toddlers, living in an office building that was not intended for human habitation. No services. Salvation Army, bless them, was bringing in cases of food. No showers, no formula, no diapers, and it's 15, 16, 17-year-old young boys milling around with 15, 16, 17-year-old young girls. And then we wonder, why are babies being born doomed to misfortune? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the ultimate test of a society's morality is how it treats its children. Now, I want to do a little dive into Matthew 18. And here are some of the strong words that Jesus had to say about children. I'm going to read Matthew 18, starting with verse 1. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Okay, now Jesus goes to a whole other level from 1 to 10 in a moment. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Cut off your limb. Gouge out your eyes. Don't cause children distress. The word stumble actually comes from the Greek word skandaliso. You can kind of imagine what that might mean, right? An incident or circumstance that brings about disgrace or outrage. A synonym would be snare, entrap. Jesus gets animated, passionate, graphic warning about the neglect, the abuse, the harm brought to children. So, what's the context? If you look at Matthew 16, you see Jesus bringing his disciples to Caesarea Philippi for an extended time with them. He, he twice talks to them about his impending death on the cross. In Matthew 16, uh, uh, he, he asks the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they reply, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said, but you, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says this, blessed are you. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In the next chapter, he brings a child to the fore and gets broiled over the, the hell on earth that happens when a child is neglected. The essence of the church is to see where hell has come to earth and follow Jesus to its gates and push it back. The gates of hell will not prevail against my people. The gates of hell will not overcome the work of the church in the world to push back the harm, the evil, the hell on earth. I will build my church. John Perkins says the church is modeled after the family. The church's job is to rescue the children when the family is under attack. The church's job is to bring them into an extended family, to nurture them and to cherish them. We can't just damn our, our children to jail or prison or death just because they don't have a father in the home and the family is under attack. In Matthew 18, 10, Jesus says, goes on the same chapter, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. This 
he says shortly after he's been transfigured before his disciples. And the father says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him, child of God. Beloved by God. Jesus sees the face of the father and is told that as a son, the father is pleased. And moments later, Jesus would say, these children must not be despised, for their angels in heaven always see the face of my father. God is passionate about children. The incarnate God is angry about the neglect and abuse of children. And then he says, the secret to knowing God is becoming like children. Phil Yancey wrote, children are filled with young wonder. They don't judge people. They don't uh, know they're not supposed to like someone because of their race, lifestyle, or background. They love to run their fingers through water, to shout at the stars, to be amazed at the streaking deer through the, running through the forest, to thank the heavens when enjoying a chocolate ice cream cone. They're filled with the capacity to love because they're filled with wonder. Filled with wonder. So what can we do? Well, Frederick Douglass says it's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. We're working with adults, and we will continue to. But the effect that early childhood education has on a child's whole lifetime trajectory is amazing. We see these little preschoolers, three and four-year-olds, if they do not experience academic success and support by the third and the fourth grade, they'll be out there on the corners. But they're full of, I, I love when they have the awards and they go, I am a promise, they sing the song. I am a possibility, I am a promise with a capital P. And it breaks my heart because there are so many like them. So many young children who are born doomed to misfortune. The U.S. ranks 32nd among 39 countries in the OECD, economic whatever, something. I looked it up, now I can't remember what. Um, in er, 32nd out of 39 developed, developed countries, or, oh, Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, I actually have it in here. 32nd out of 39 countries in early childhood education enrollment. Nobel laureate economist James Heckman has estimated that even expensive investments in early childhood education would yield a 6 to 10 return on investments. So we're opening this preschool. We were hoping to get um, uh, child care assistance program money, which is vouchers that low-income people can, uh, can get to pay for child care and preschool. But with the budget as it is, um, those are severely cut. It costs 8400 for us to have, a, to have a child in preschool for the year. And most of our people can't afford that. And so I'm, I'm going around stomping to say we got to support early childhood education. So people who are growing up in our neighborhood, it, it can affect generations to start with early childhood education. Breakthrough has a sports program and an arts and science academy. There's an interesting book 
by Robert Putnam, who wrote the book Our, uh, Bowling Alone. You might, may have heard of that book. It's a book called Our Kids, and it's about the opportunity gap, just full of statistics. And, you know, I could go on and on, but you'll, you'll, I'm going to say a few of the key ones. Someone, a kid who has involvement in extracurricular activities is 400 times more likely to go to college than a kid who doesn't. Um, kids who have mentors. Rich kids, two-thirds of them tend to have mentors. And poor kids, two-thirds of them have no mentors. A mentor can make a huge difference in a child's life. Poor kids are three times as likely as non-poor kids to participate in neither. You've got to get the, this, this kind of turned around. Poor kids are three times as likely as non-poor kids to participate in neither sports nor clubs. 64% of affluent kids have men mentors beyond their family. 62% of poor kids have none. It goes on and on and on. So, Marian Edelman Wright has written this uh, kind of expose she calls The Sixth Child because when she wrote it, one out of six children in America were living in poverty. So I had to like kind of redo it. I had to do my find and replace because now it's one out of five, all right? One out of five. So let's call it the fifth child. Imagine a family blessed with five children. Four of them have enough to eat and comfortable warm rooms in which to sleep. One doesn't. She's hungry and cold. Some nights she has to sleep on the streets or in a shelter, or she's taken away from her neglectful family and placed in a foster care of a group or a group home with strangers. Imagine this family with four children receiving nourishing meals three times a day, snacks, but the fifth child goes to school hungry. Imagine the family with four of its children getting all their shots, regular health checkups, and the fifth is plagued by chronic respiratory infections and toothaches with abscesses and can't get to a doctor. So it goes on and on and on, but you get the picture. What can we do? Maybe we could adopt that fifth child. And I don't mean literally. Maybe some of you can. But is there a way that we can see that fifth child as our child? I know as a grandmother, I will do anything I need to do. I know you're spending a lot of money and a lot of time building your families, and that is wonderful. I think Jesus' message for us today is, what about the fifth child. What can we do to make a difference in providing a network of support and the love of Christ around that fifth child? Dear God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their activism. I thank you for how they keep the main thing the main thing, how they're involved in making a difference in this community, and, and, and how they help breakthrough financially and, and just with the encouragement, volunteering. God, will you bless them? Will you show them what the next thing is? Not out of guilt or obligation, but out of the sense of joy, of just knowing that they're feeling your heart, that they care about the things that you care about. And in that way, are drawn into an intimate, loving relationship with you, the God of love. In Christ's name, amen. 
as God has worked in your heart today, if you feel like there's a need for prayer for you or just something you would like some people to come alongside you with, after the service, you can come on up and you can be prayed for. Our Loa's message this morning challenges us to embrace our faith to embrace the God who has redeemed us and to live out that faith. As we said earlier this morning, the ministry of breakthrough is absolutely shaping the ministry that we are doing here along North Avenue. So if your heart has been stirred this morning and broken again for children, we have some opportunities along North Avenue for people to be mentors, to help with the after-school program, to join lunch bunches, to just come alongside kids and to speak some truth into their life. Some truth that will help them move forward and hopefully be like those in the pictures that Arloa shared earlier. In addition to that, we are launching our fifth annual school supply drive. You can find the card in your bulletin. In each and every one of those items, go to come alongside the teachers at Schaefer and Jefferson and to help them pour into the lives of the children that they're serving. So I would invite you to embrace the opportunity to impact the lives of children in our community. Because ladies and gentlemen, God we serve is big and though we may feel weak at times and small and it might all feel like a little bit too much it's not too much for our daddy father the God we serve and as we stand in his church in the face of injustice as we stand for hope they don't just take us on the world messes with our daddy and he can overcome anything. I would invite you to come back next week. We're gonna hear from Leroy Barber. He was one of the individuals that helped write that prayer that we prayed a few Sundays ago for the victims who lost their lives in that church shooting. He's gonna be an amazing man to have here. But right now I'm gonna pray for us, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have called us to be your church, to be a force in this world for what is just, what is right, what is filled with hope, God. And we can thank you that no matter how dire and exhausting and how hopeless a situation is, that nothing is hopeless with you and you are the God that works in and through us. Lord, we thank you for that reminder from Arloa this morning. Open our eyes to see those in our midst. Open our eyes to see the marginalized, to see the oppressed, and help us to be a force for lives in our community. Lord, we give this day to you. We give this week to you. And now, Lord, as your church leaves the building, may they go out changing lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.